Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. I made it up here. Wow. I had some obstacles in the way. Are we ready to praise the Lord? Amen. Amen. I'm going to go over here. Are we ready to praise the Lord? Amen. A lot louder than you guys. What happened? <laughs> all right. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. Glad to see all these shining faces, most of them anyways, all looking at me. Praise the Lord. Are you happy to be here tonight? Yes. Yeah. I'm happy to be here tonight. Amen. So uh, let me read some scripture. We'll say a prayer and get some praise and worship. How's that sound? All right. Did somebody say marvelous? Is that what I heard? Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, I like that word better. <clears throat> then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. That's us, right? Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand, please. We'll pray and we'll go into praise and worship. Father, we just thank you so much tonight. Lord, we just thank you for our lives and for your love and for your presence in our lives. Lord, we just praise you and we honor you and thank you for just everything. Lord, tonight we just ask that, Lord, that you would put your hand on our our hearts and our minds, Lord, and open them up to the word and to the music. And Lord, help us to, to just be ready, ready for you tonight, Lord. Lord, let your presence just be, be felt everywhere. Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that you would just put your hand on the worship team and anoint them. Lord, uh, help them to bring us into that place. And Lord, be with the, the preacher tonight as he brings the word, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would just uh, anoint his mouth. And allow the words to come out that are your words, not his. Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that you just help each and every one of us to be the best we can be and to be reminded that we're new creations and not the old man. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stay standing.
last verse. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much for the, all the gifts that you've given us, Lord. Lord, you've given us new life. You've given us a new freedom. Lord, you've given us a place to gather together in your name. Lord, you've allowed us to become one in unity through the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much. And as we, we sing to you tonight, Lord, let our focus be on you. Let us... Our focus not beyond the gifts that you bring, Lord, but be on the giver. Lord, you're the source of all good things. We thank you and we praise you so much tonight. This is the burden. This is the blood. Broken and poured out for all of us, and in this communion, we share in His love. This is the body. This is the blood.
atmosphere your glory god is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence lord your presence your presence Lord, come, fill us with your presence. Lord, we need you each day and every day. We thank you so much.
Father, we lift your name up tonight. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our minds, Lord, to receive your word. Lord, may your word dwell richly in us. You alone have the words of life. We thank you so much. We ask that your hand would be upon the rest of the service, Lord, as your children come and bring the words that you have placed on, your, on their hearts, Lord. We thank you so much, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
So if I move this up about four feet, do you think Seku would notice? Yes. <laughs> ah, okay. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Buenas tardes, mis hermanos y hermanas. It is always good to be here. I don't, I, I've heard some things today that let me know that I'm not the only one that had a little unusual week. <laughs> that God is at work and he is, he is doing things among us. And as the little placard over here in the wall says, sometimes you, when you pray, he answers it. You pray for strength and he gives you trials. You pray for patience and he gives you tribulations. And we've undergone some of that this week. Um, I wanted to read out of the very first part of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And I want you just to remember that here God's talking to Jeremiah, but he talks to each and every one of us. He's called each and every one of us. And we're ministers through prayer. Amen? And we're ministers in praise. Amen? So he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to, the, to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and he said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. We come in prayer not because we are coming to do our will, but we are coming to do his will. And just like Jeremiah, God has given us something to do. And we don't need to be afraid of going and doing that. And when we come in prayer, we're praying for his will to be done, recognizing that he is the sovereign God who's enabled us to think his thoughts after him, to speak his thoughts after him. And so we come now to give him praise, to give him glory, because he's called us, he's chosen us, he sent us out. And we bring to him our requests and our praises. Amen? Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we give you praise. We give you praise because you have ordained everything to work together, to draw us to yourself, to expand your kingdom, to give you praise and glory. And Father, we praise you for the trials we have, for they, they allow us to see your strength. We praise you for the 
tribulations that we encounter, for they show us our need to rely fully upon you and to show us our, our humanity. Father, there are many needs in our families, for jobs, for difficulties in the jobs, for health, Father. And you are there with us in each one of those. And we just ask, Father, that you would speak into our hearts and give us words of wisdom and that we might remember your encouragement that you are with us and that wherever we go, wherever you send us, your strong hand is guiding us. Father, we praise you for the work that you have done and that you're going to do. And we trust, Father, that you are working your will in our lives and in our loved ones' lives, our co-workers, and the acquaintances we meet along the way. Father, prepare our hearts for your word. As we look into it, let us stand in awe of what you have done and what you have called us to. Let us stand in awe as we worship you through this time of hearing your word and hearing the words of your servant. Father, we praise you, we glorify you, and we call out to you in Christ's name. <coughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Just finally got my voice back. Whenever I sing that song, Good, Good Father, I, I get so emotional. Such an amazing song. And I just, I was worshiping him over there and tears flew a little bit. And praise the Lord. Well, before uh, we get into uh, the word, I just want to remind everybody that uh, during the week, we have many other times that we come together and fellowship and worship and do Bible studies and and uh, pray together. You know, if you want to get involved in that, check out our schedule. Talk to John Matthews, and he can give you more information. Or just about anybody in here can give you some more information. You know, find out about those times and come and join us. We'd love to see all your faces there. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before I bring him in, you know, I have a question. My question for you is, why was the shoe so unhappy? Because his father is a loafer and his mother is a sneaker. Somebody said I have a tradition that I come over here shaking my head. And they, and they brought this up, so I had to tell myself to not shake my head. Inside, though, I was shaking my head. I did. Um, well, let's start. But if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. It's Old Testament, so I'll give you a chance to get there. As we're going there, once again, um, I look forward to Saturdays. It's always a pleasure being here, seeing a lot of new faces, seeing somebody over here that's usually over here, and he's trying to make his way over here, or maybe not. Um, but just looking around, we are definitely growing. Um, Art and I had a, a talk about a building, and he's already got plans for this one. 
we're, we're talking about moving forward. He's like, well, whenever y'all do, there's plans for this one. So praise God, those are good problems to have, I guess. Um, but keep it in prayer because this is, this is wonderful for us uh, that we have a chance to worship God freely, that we have a chance to come and fellowship with one another, to grow, to learn. Um, but there are many other people who are wanting to come here. And it's, it's interesting that uh, we went from being persecuted, so to speak, to being ignored, to now being endorsed, even by probation. So it's, it's an interesting thing that is going on, and nobody but God could do something like this. So we praise God, not just for what he's doing and who he is and his redemption in our life, but also for the family that he's bringing together. It isn't always uh, great and glorious and pretty, and we have our disagreements, but at the end of the day, we realize that the blood of Christ is what unifies and brings us all together and praise God that he has accepted us into his family and not just accepted us, made us co-heirs with Christ. And that's nothing to sniff at. So we praise God for all of his wonderful goodness towards us. Now in the, um, uh, I don't even, what, how does Anthony say it? Like, I don't have a segue for this. Um, I'm going to have to basically pain your ears one more because before we start, I have to tell you a story that fits with the scenario. It's about two knights. Some of y'all have heard this before. There's a red knight and there is a white knight. And the white knight and the red knight, swords are clashing. They're, they're just armored up and all kinds of things are going on. And the white knight gets lucky, lands a blow on each arm. Arms come off. The red knight doesn't give up. He starts kicking at the white knight with all the heavy armor on. He's just bound and determined not to quit. So the white knight, one slice, off goes one leg, one slice, off goes the other leg. And at this point, the red knight finally had to stop fighting because he was unarmed and defeated. <laughs> now, before you, well, you've already groaned at the at the stupidity of the joke. But the, <laughs> the point of that joke is that you have a red knight who ultimately did not quit until he had nothing else to fight with. He didn't quit. And the story that, or the, the thing that we're talking about today is what do we do when it all falls apart? Because you could be like the Red Knight and you can keep fighting with everything that you've got left or we could get an injury and call it quits. But what do we do when it all falls apart? The verse that we're going to read is out of the book of Samuel. It's in reference to David. At this point, a David that is anointed king, but he is not in the office of king. Can you imagine being anointed for a role, but not in that role. I think we have somebody in this church that got hired as a manager and as a driver. He was hired as a manager, but he has not seen a managerial spot because he's still driving, even though that's not what he was hired for. But yet he's still showing his character and doing what he needs to do, doing what he usually does, which is freaking out and putting AirPods on everything so that we know where they're at. But he's, he's still doing the job. 
But we can relate to that, that God has a calling on our life, but we're not in a place where that calling is coming to manifestation. Here is David, anointed king, but his circumstance is far from kingly. So if you're at 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, let's all stand in honor of reading God's word. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6. And it reads, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the 30th day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray tonight that it is your spirit and your anointing that reaches our spirit, that teaches each and every one of us what it is that you have for us, encourages us and uplifts us, not only so that we could have your word, hear it and do it, but to be able to share it with others. Thank you for your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first part of this that we're going to be looking at is the setup, which happens before 1 Samuel chapter 30. As I said, this is King David, but he's not in a king's throne. He's basically King David on the run, and somebody else is on the throne by the name of Saul. So this isn't completely foreign to everybody. Saul is persecuting David because he recognizes that David is there to take his place at some point. I mean, persecuting him to the point of chasing him with an army, throwing a spear at him while David is playing music. David is no slouch. Okay, this is after David killed Goliath of Gath. But David is a man of principle because he is always saying, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. So he has no desire... Well, he may have had a desire, but he has no uh, um, principle in him that allows him to retaliate against Saul. He goes by what God said, and because of that, even though he knows that Saul is wrong, he decides to leave the situation. But in leaving the situation, he ends up in a cave, and as he's in a cave, he gets a whole bunch of followers attracted to him, and God says, get out of this cave. And so David then goes and finds another place to stay with a king by the name of Ahash. This king is the king of a place called Gath. Doesn't that sound familiar? It wasn't there a Goliath of Gath? So the very foe that David struck down is now the very city that David is running to for protection. And so he plays crazy, you know, spit all over his beard and plays crazy. Ahash feels sorry for him and ends up taking him in, even though the people warn him. Isn't this the David that, had, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands? And, and Ahash falls for the ruse. He fought, David gets an Academy Award for the, the, the acting job that he did. And so he's in the background 
And in the previous chapter, he's actually called to march towards Israel with the rest of the armies of the Philistines. He's in the back. They're marching to go attack Israel. David's got a predicament, and the commanders told Ahaz, look, why is this guy with us? Why is he here? And he says, well, he's a, he's a mighty man. He's good to fight. And they're like, yeah, but this is, this is David. No, we don't feel comfortable going with him. So Ahaz says, you know what? I would love for you to be here. Literally, he does say, I would love for you to be here in a way that he, he really wants him to be there to attack Israel. But the rest of the people won't have it. You need to go back home and go in peace. So here is David now going home with his men. And as soon as he gets home, he finds absolute destruction. This is the setup to where things fall apart. Because as the history of David shows, number one, he is running from family and friends and the drama that surrounds that. His own brothers considered him least because he was the youngest. Saul is after him because he thinks that David's after his spot. Jonathan is his best friend, Saul's son, and Jonathan is like, bro, you need to leave. Now, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing because he didn't call him bro. He may have called him brother, but he still warned him, you got to go. He's fleeing family drama. As many of us have found our own situation with a whole bunch of family drama. Number two, he is living amongst the enemy. The, the very same people that were coming to attack him and Israel, he is now living among. But he's living there based on deception. He's living a lie in order to get along with the enemy. We've been there. We've had the family drama. Some of us still have the family drama. It affects us greatly. And then we live among the world. Friendship with the world is what against God? Enmity. And so we are living with a whole bunch of people that live a lifestyle that is enemy towards God and makes them enemies towards God. They cuss and they fuss. They stress and they strife. And we not only live among them, but if we're not careful, we pick up their practices. So we have to get along to get along. So we act a certain way so that we don't tip off the world so that they become adversarial against us because we represent Jesus Christ. And you say, I don't do that. I represent Christ always. Slow down. Because if you really look at it, do you represent in, in your job like you represent here? Do you represent on the bus like you do here? Do you represent in the grocery store like you do here? So really, we come here because it's safe to worship. And when we go out, we kind of keep our Christianity um, you know, under wraps because we don't want to upset the apple cart. So we're deceiving the people around us by trying not to live who we are so that we can be on their good side. <clears throat> this is the weight of his surroundings in a foreign land, in a foreign place among people who are technically enemies and away from his family, even though it's drama. How many of us know that our surroundings can have an effect on us? Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9 um, says, whoa, okay. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly. Next verse. And delivered who? Righteous Lot. This is Peter writing about Lot. And we all consider Lot 
you know, the bad boy, that he wanted, his eyes were big, and he wanted to get away from Abram so they could do what he wanted to do. But really, they considered him righteous. And then it turns around and says, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked? Next verse. For that righteous man dwelling among them, just dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. This is Lot. You say, well, he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, this place can be just as bad. I, 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 I specifically remember a place that was over on Camelback that my god brother who had no morals whatsoever was just completely like if, if it was sexual, he was going to do it. He called me up after leaving this place and said, say, and he's not Christian. He was like, say, who I feel like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And this place was a legal place here in Phoenix 20 years ago. But even if it's not to that extreme, we know that we have things around us that we just drive by and they wear on us. We watch on a television and it wears on us. And what we don't realize is all of these factors are stressors. They're all stressing us in one form, fashion, or another. We may have grown to a point where we think we can deal with it, but they're still stressors. And over time, stress fractures add up. As any engineer, any person working on a plane, or anything that requires constant moving of metal or buildings, or for that matter, stress, stress fractures add up. To add to all of this, there's one more stress that David is accruing in that he's got people that are coming out the woodwork to follow him. It's funny how he's in the cave of Adalom and Saul can't find him, but all these people that were messed over and had you know bad credit, bad teeth, and problems, just problem children, they all seem to find him. Isn't it funny how you know the tax collector can't find you, but the problem children, sir, know how to come and get your attention? But the reason why they're coming to get your attention is because they see something in you that they can't find in the world. And so, yes, you got crack addicts and you got people with drug problems, people with mouth problems, all these other problems. But they're coming around you because they see something in you that they can't quite put their finger on. But it seems like it's more hope than the situation that they're in. The problem, though with accruing these followers, is a trap of expectation. It, they tend to have an idea of who you are, that if you don't match up to that idea, then they have a problem with you. How many of us know what that's like, holding on to God's promise in a lifestyle of compromise? Compromise means an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions so we back a little bit off of our passion for Christ in our life in order to live in the place not where God put us but where we find ourselves that leads to the breaking point because now with all that going on in David's life he comes back with his men they were all trying to figure out how to get out of attacking Israel and they get released. They're all well and good. They were going back to their usual thing, which was guerrilla warfare against some of the other tribes, especially the Amalekites. And they get home and they find their homes burned. 
their families and possessions gone. How many of us have ever had a house fire? Especially when you're away and nobody tells you, you don't know, you drive down the street, vacation's over, you get to your house and you're going, where's the house? Why is there all this tape? Where's the roof? Where's the dogs? You start panicking and freaking out because you don't know the extent of the damage, but you can see that there was something traumatic that happened there. Here are these men, dry, and, and this isn't a place that there's cities and walls everywhere. This is open, flat land. So you get to a point where miles, maybe half a mile away, as you start to get to your camp, you realize something ain't right. And so now you've got a long ride to get to this place where there's smoke and no movement. And they have a long time to get upset. David's people following David ended up at a very traumatic point. In 1 Samuel 31 through 5, when we read this story, I hope you caught the fact that wives were taken, children were taken, homes were burnt, David's wives were taken. He had his own loss to deal with, but then he also had to deal with his people who suffered loss. And when the people suffered loss, they turned on the one person who they chose to blame for this, David himself. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because of the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. When you find yourself in a position, whether it's leadership on a grand scale, or just being somebody that people looked up to, and everything is taken from you, and then the people that are around you that looked up to you, but they also suffered loss, become hurt because of it, their words are no longer kind. Now they're angry. Now there's talk of, are you the right person for the job? Should you have been doing this in the first place? And even if you're not dealing with the loss of other people, you have often been in situations where you have lost everything. Something seemingly out of your control has reached up and completely wrecked everything that you thought was in order. David had to deal with the suffering, pain, and pressure that loss reveals. And from his example, we can see how we can handle the pain and the suffering and the pressure and loss and what comes from it. And as I speak this, I know this is difficult because we have people in this church that have recently just out of the blue lost jobs, lost livelihoods, some have lost family members. Some are wondering what the future is going to be. What you thought was constant has been upheaved and now you're living in a sense of Okay, God, what do we do? The people that were counting on you being stable are upset because of the instability. And oftentimes we get upset with them instead of when the Bible says, don't you know, render evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. When we start getting crushed by pressure and pain and loss, we really need to be careful. Because the, the hurting hurt. I told y'all once I, I tried to rescue a cat, got hit by a car. I just happened to see it. The car drove off. The cat sounded 
horrible. I hope I never hear a cat make that noise again. And I'm not even a cat person. But when you see a cat with his intestines out, his legs are just thrown, back legs thrown in any direction, and he's just in the middle of the street, still alive, just wow. I'm like, I can't, that's a horrible sound. So I go out there and try and help the cat. You know, hurt cat, he's just crying, Row! The second I got close to helping that hurt cat, all of a sudden, Row! went to, and y'all know what that means. <laughs> means, okay, 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 you need your space. But the cat's hurting. But it's hurting so much that all it sees is anything coming to help is also going to continue the hurt. So when we are hurting because we lose everything and the people around us are upset because they've been hurt as well in some form fashion, we have to be careful not to respond to their hurtful comments with hurtful comments of our own. David could have got on a pulpit, a stand, a rock and told all these people that followed him where they could go because he wanted to because they wanted to stone him. But instead, he chose a different direction. And that is stressful. That's another reason why, and, and, and there's an express reason why God instructed me to say this. It's been on my heart all week. There's another reason why you also can't have other people be responsible for your happiness. Because the minute that you do something they don't get along with, they're going to be unhappy with you. And if your happiness is relying on them, but they're unhappy with you, then you're unhappy and you have no idea why you're unhappy. Number one. Number two, you should never give another person that much power over your life. Never. Because the minute that you do that, and, and don't think that I'm talking out of ignorance. I know what living in victim posturing is where you marry somebody and then you allow them to be a complete whatever it is that they want to do, and you feign ignorance so that you can do what you want to do, but you don't have to have confrontation. That is not how God called us to live. Just speaking the word of God is confrontational. Just standing up being a Christian is con con confrontational. Just standing up for the truth is confrontational. Me even preaching this right now is confrontational because some people are going to get back to the message and some people are going, you know, I need to hear this, but now ain't the time when I need to hear this. You cannot... Put your life in other people's hands and expect them to take care of you and be responsible for your happiness and your well-being. That is a conversation that comes from you and God and God alone. Otherwise, people will constantly leave you disappointed because especially if they don't know any better, you're constantly leaving others disappointed. So now here is David with loss. Here is David facing people that want his head. And all of us have been there. When we suffer loss, we have people that are coming against us. And we now have to make a choice. Because there is a trap in letting the issue that we are facing have more effect over our lives than our father and his word. When I lost my job at Peddler's, there was a little while when I'm going, you know what, God, you got me out of there. There was also a small voice that would try and come in. You know, you were able to take care of yourself. You could do whatever it is that you wanted to do. And now that's gone. But you still got that dog. And now you got another dog. And you got responsibilities. And how are you going to make that work? Yeah. And I could either A, 
go, I know who I serve and I know what he has me doing and I'll focus on God, recognize the issue but focus on God, or I could not focus on God and focus on the issue so much where it becomes overwhelming and then I start deteriorating. How many of y'all know that when you start going through those situations, those trials where you seemingly lost everything, is when God begins to prove just how resilient you are. He wants to draw it out of you. You say, well, all I see is ugliness. Yes, but he's also putting a seed of something on the inside of you that says, you know what? You can take from me. This can go away, but I have God, and that's more than enough, and he will send me where it is that I need to go, and my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. So you can make a declaration, or you can stand in the circumstances of the world and let that dictate your happiness, your joy, and your value. Or you can come to God's side and say, they took this from me, but I know you have me covered. This is gone, but I know you have me covered. What's the plan? What is our response when we find that we face loss? Do we turn to grief or do we turn to God? There's a term that we use in this church very often. I don't like the term. I still don't like the term. It's not scary letter. I don't like that term at all. But it's called free fall. Free fall. Every time somebody or a few people would say free fall, I would imagine somebody jumping out of a perfectly good airplane without a parachute. And they are falling, waiting on God to just say, I got you with this invisible hand that you can't see. So you don't know. And the ground just gets closer and closer. And there's nobody around you. It's just silence. And you're contemplating the sudden end. <laughs> the sudden end is... That's how I looked at free fall. Yeah, I recognize God in it, but I mean, there's perfectly good circumstances that just went completely awry, and here we are falling toward the ground. Do we have to get to that point? Why couldn't God just say, you know, skip the airplane. I got a golf stream for you to fly, and we'll just make things that much smoother. No! Get in the airplane, get situated, and then... No control over your situation. No understanding of what's going to happen. There's an impact that is, is threatening you, and all you have is to trust in God. We can turn to grief, or we can turn to God. And in free fall, God is training us to turn to him. He's training us to look towards him, a consistent God, in uncertain times. You know... I'm way off script, but that's all right. We, uh, I mean, I'm on, but I'm off. I, I, most of y'all know I lost a job at Peddlers. They said, we're going a different direction, yada, yada, yada. They just made an excuse, and I know what some of the reasons were, but it's, it's dust in the wind. The thing is, is that I was fired on a Thursday. Wednesday, I'm off. Tuesday night, we do the dinner. And I don't remember who we did the dinner with. I think it was you. Don't ever go to dinner with Chris. <laughs> we did the dinner, and as we were doing the dinner, for some reason the conversation came up about Deb retiring and how she wrote letters and all this other stuff to everybody and, you know, God bless you and I'm moving on. And I says, I don't know what it would be like when I finally leave Peddlers. Would it be uh, me yelling at everybody? Would it be just silent, me saying my day is over and I'm leaving? Would it be me writing emails and letters about, you know, God bless you all and, and hopefully you're successful in your ventures? That was Tuesday night. 
Wednesday, I'm cleaning the house and relaxing. Thursday morning, I go into work and get fired. And I'm going, oh. <laughs> God has a very interesting sense of timing. Because why would that even pop up? And then it happens a little bit later. And I could have looked at the uncertainty of even holding the job. Or I could have looked at the consistency of God and say, you know what? I'm going to follow you and I'm going to follow your plan, even though there are people that are upset with me because I no longer have the income that I used to. How do we handle when everything falls apart? David said he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord because he couldn't find strength in the various people that followed him. They wanted to kill him. He couldn't find strength in his family. They were taken away. Some of us are in situations now where the very people we counted on, relied upon, sometimes even threw our problems onto them to let them handle it, are being taken away from us, and we find that we are by ourselves. But we can do like David and strengthen ourselves in our God. The first step to doing that is realigning your focus, turning to God. Repentance isn't just about changing your mind from sin. Repentance is about changing your mind and looking towards God instead of looking at the world. We can remember who it is that we are. Remember what it is that he said, what it is that he told us, what it is that he spoke over us. Because the word that he gives us is not temporary. It's eternal. So even though we have forgotten about it, God says, I'm still on the path to bring my promise into fruition. David remembered who he was, and it's evidenced by him. The first thing he did after he says, I'm going to strengthen myself in God, is he got the priest to get the ephod. Now, why the ephod was not with all the other stuff, that's a big question. But at the end of the day, he said, let me inquire of God. Let me get back to remembering who he is, his goodness, what he's done, and remember that I have the wherewithals to communicate with him in the first place. If I took a survey and said how many of us, the minute that we found out that we were losing something, that we were going into uh, traumatic circumstances, the first thing we did was pray? Real quiet in here. It's just, just quiet. Sounds <laughs> spaghetti, huh? The third thing we can do is in remembering the past is reframe the future. In other words, stop looking at it as if the world has power and authority over you and do like Luis brought up the scripture on Monday about all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore. We are under authority of the one that has all authority and because of that he's commanding us to go out and you say, well my job this and this going on and that. Those are realistic issues but at the end of the day you serve the most high God. And he has all authority. He's the one that opens doors. He's the one that opens windows. He's the one that makes straight the narrow path. So if we are having a problem and we see a disruption in our life, is the first thing that we do going into prayer and communicating with our Father. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 um, speaks about Jesus. And as it speaks about Jesus... It gives us a great example of how to follow. Make sure I don't lose my place. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What did he do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't ignore what was in front of him. But he did not put what was in front of him greater than what he was aiming for. The cross was significant. It was necessary, but it was not pleasant. But at the end, what he was looking for was not the cross as the end, but what he had to go through on that cross in order to get to a place that would bless everybody in this room and everybody that names Jesus Christ as Lord. And there are things that we go through that in our suffering, God releases something that blesses the various people around us. You say, I have to suffer in order to get there. He says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. That means that somebody is putting you in a place of persecution where you die to something, but in your dying, that new life that comes up is not just there for you to go, woohoo, I've been born again. It's there for you to then turn around and bless others with what God has brought to life. He despised the shame. He didn't ignore the situation. He looked at what was beyond it. Worry is a form of corrupt meditation. Because you are taking uh, half-truths or outright lies and meditating on them and then wondering why your expectation is fear instead of hope. We take the wrong things and meditate on them. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Are those valid questions? Yeah, they are. But if we let them dominate our thinking and erode the truth of God's word and just bombard our minds, we're going to walk around heart aching, mind-scrambled, fear-filled saints. And that is not what God called us to do. He called us to be strong, not to be weak. And so as he calls us to be strong, our strength doesn't come from our ability. Our strength comes from him. When we find ourselves in the middle of these situations, we turn to God and strengthen ourselves in him. The other thing that David did is he got word from the Lord as to what he was supposed to do. And so he took the people that were around him and said, God told us we're going back to get what is ours. And the people followed him. How many of us have taken what God has said in saying, you know what, I got you covered, and then turn around and proclaim it and then aim for it? Speak it out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but out of the abundance of the heart comes confession. If God has placed something on the inside of you, why are you holding your mouth closed? You know, I did not get peace about the decision to stay here in Arizona, even though I know God said you're not going to go back home. I did not get peace in eight years of living in Sweden prison. I did not get peace until my aunt sat down and I confessed God does not want me going back to Minnesota. He wants me to go wherever it is that he called me, and that's what I'm going to do. And the minute that I proclaimed that I knew nothing about Eagle's Nest, I knew nothing about how I was going to make it work, I knew nothing about what comes after that, all I knew is to proclaim what God said and aim myself in that direction. And the rest is history. You have to start speaking what God has given you. 
There's something about speaking out what God has said. There's something about proclaiming what God has said. God didn't say, I have a great idea, let there be light. God says, I have an idea, and then spoke, let there be light. And then he created us in his image. There is power to you proclaiming the truth that God has putting on the inside of you. And some of you guys are, well, I'm a metal. Some of you guys are wondering why things are getting tough for you and why things are going on. And God says, speak the word I gave you. You're going to speak. I'll squeeze it out of you. Speak the word that I gave you. I'm going to put you in more situations till you start getting bold or frustrated or one or the other. And you say, you know what? I know what my God said. And I'm going to proclaim what he said. I know who I am. I'm going to say who it is he has called me to be and not what I think of myself. I know where he is going to place me. I am going to speak his truth. Turn your face and state your case. <laughs> you say, I don't feel it. This ain't about feelings. It's about faith. If, God, if David went by his feelings, he'd feel real bad and want to go back to the cave of Adalon. He says, it's about faith. I know who my God is. Let me go talk to him. When you find yourself in the middle of everything falling apart, and I know this is easier said than done, but this is still true. It ain't about how you feel about the situation. It's how you faith about the situation. And if you know that your God is on the throne and that you have access, then you go before your God boldly, proclaiming him your concerns and circumstances, but by the same token, proclaim what he has told you in the authority that he has given you towards whatever it is that you're facing. Ooh-wee. Amen. Lastly, these people who went with him to go get their stuff back. These were the very same people that were ready to stone him. These aren't slouches. These are mighty men of war. They know how to get things done, but they followed the very same guy that they were going to stone to go get their family back. Why? Because David is great and glorious? No, because David had a mission from God. And no, I'm not quoting Blues Brothers, but if you look at Blues Brothers, it's almost the same principle. They didn't follow David because he was great. They followed David because David was following God. And if they knew that they were behind somebody that was linked up with God, then whatever cause it was that they were going to fight, they were going to win. They knew David's God, and they knew what David's God had brought them from and brought him through. And so they weren't necessarily going to follow a failure, but they were going to follow somebody whose faith was in the Almighty God. There are people that are looking at you, and they don't want to follow you when you're sitting down going, oh, these little thugs, this is just so bad, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And they're going, where is this man's God? Where, where is the strength that this man had? But when you see somebody who hits rock bottom, stands up on their feet, looks to their God and say, you know what? What's the next step? And when people, glory be to God, when people see that on the inside of you, they're not looking at you. They're looking through you to the God that you serve and the strength that he is pouring through you. And now they are willing to follow that to wherever it is that God has for them to go. No, because I could go on, and I know we got time, and we just talked about that. 
Because honestly, I've seen, I've heard, I've prayed about, I know we have a lot of people in this church that are facing, everything is falling apart. Uh, can I tell you an honest truth? Nothing of this world, nothing of this world, number one, can separate you from the love of God. But number two, even when Jesus was captured, went before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was like, don't you realize this power I have over you? And one of the few times that Jesus spoke, because more often than not, he was a lamb being led to the slaughter. But when he was confronted with the power question, he confronted the person of power with true power. You would have no authority over me except my father gives it to you. Then he tells us to follow him. You mean to tell me that people have carte blanche to do whatever they want to do to your life? No, they don't. You could put, you say, well, I put myself on probation. And I guarantee you that there's even limits. Well, I put myself in the form, you know, under the adversary's control. Uh, what, did G what did God tell the devil when he went to go tempt Job? This is as far as you can go. There's something about having that blood covering on your life and how God has protected you and how he has a plan for you. And just like the disciples questioning Jesus, oh Lord, do you care if we perish? They did not realize that they had a mission. Jesus had a mission. And if the boat fell apart, God was going to make a way for them to get to the other side of the lake onto the shore. It doesn't matter what carries them. It matters what they carry. And they carry a promise from God. And God will bring his word to performance. And just like you in this room, God has spoken over your life. And when God speaks, it must come to pass. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter what, uh, what is above your life. Doesn't matter what's under your life. Doesn't matter what's going on that even holds you back. If God has spoken over your life, even though things are falling apart, he's still bringing you to the place where he has designated for you to be. God hasn't given up on you. Why would you let everything falling apart make you give up on yourself? Why would you make or let these things interfere with your joy? And I'm not speaking this from a standpoint of somebody who has it all together. Y'all knew what I went through last fall and last winter. And the whole time it was a fight. I'm not going to keep this long-term tradition of 20 years or whatever long it was. I'm not going to keep this tradition, but it's deeply rooted. And so every day was a fight. I know things are falling apart. I know things are bad, but I also know who my God is. And then I wake up the next day and it just, well, we didn't get them that way. Let's get them this way. You know what? I got to get up. And, and even if I can't say the words myself, I got people around me who say, say, cool, I see what you're going through. And I know that you're dealing with this and I don't like it and you don't like it, but you know what? Remember your God and remember what he's got for you. And all of a sudden, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. He's not asking you to make strides. He's asking you to take a step. Stop overthinking it. Stop looking at it like, I got to do this, that, and the other. Do the one thing that he has put before you. But before all of that, keep in mind that he is not done with you yet and if he is not done then as long as you follow him and as long as you make him your strength he will bring you through whatever it is into wherever it is that he calls you
Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I glorify you for your goodness and everything that you do. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you that you're persistently not giving up on us, even when sometimes we give up on ourselves because it falls apart. Lord, help us turn to you. Help us have our eyes focused on you and help us to trust you in whatever it is that this life brings our way. Help us to go through it, trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray. As we do communion tonight, we look at this sacrament, and some people look at it as a solemn occasion. And it definitely wasn't brought about for fun and, and, and you know, people having a great time. It was brought about in suffering. It was brought about because of sin. But what it shows is the victory that Christ won over sin, over death, so that each and every one of us could not only stand before God with his righteousness, but each and every one of us could live before the Father in eternity. So even though it is a solemn occasion, it is still cause to celebrate. If I could get somebody to point for him. once when I was younger thought that I could move beyond foundational things. So I considered talking about the blood of Jesus Christ as antiquated. I thought baptism was antiquated. I thought the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit was antiquated, that we're supposed to move on to greater things, but in all reality, that's the foundation. That's where things start. And if you look at it, that's the foundation that God continually builds the principles upon. This body and this blood that we are going to partake of tonight is a sacrifice freely given so that we could stand before him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be worrying about our situation falling apart. We'd be worried about the last day when we take our last breath in this life and wake up before judgment. But because of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can stand, redeemed, and know that nothing this world brings against us can ever separate us from the love of our God. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Father, we thank you for this, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, that as this body broken for us becomes unified in us eating it, help us to be a stronger body as you have called us to be in Jesus' name, amen. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, represented here in this cup, the blood that not only, not only was shed for our atonement, but was also shed for our sin, once and for all and we thank you for those words said on the cross that it is finished in Jesus name we pray amen in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me 
Would you all stand? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as we rise from this table, we proclaim his life. I know that we face as a church and as individuals very difficult times. I'm not making light of that. I'm not saying to act like it doesn't exist because that would be a lie. But by the same token, realize the greater truth that is over each and every one of us. We're not just people who skated into the kingdom. You know, the door was closing and we just got in. We are people that God is looking for, has called us, has provided his blood for each and every one of us. And we're not cheap. So if you realize that you are not cheap because of the value of the blood that was poured out to cover your life, then also realize that God protects his investment. And he protects those he loves. Does that mean that you won't face uncertainty or harm or even death? You might. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying it won't. But I am saying that whatever adversity that we deal with here in this world, just like Jesus suffered persecution, so will we. But at the end of it, we will ultimately be victorious. So don't let your current circumstance dictate your eternal future. Flip those roles in reverse and your eternal future dictates your current circumstance. And you will see that you can endure what you're going through, despise the shame of it, but you see the joy that is set before you. Would you all raise your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. God bless you.